0: Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go, brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be understood as or considered a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Briefly Legal with the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. I'm your host, Adam Childers, the Co chair of the firm's labor and employment section. Uh, today, we are uh, taking a break from our recent um, focus on just labor and employment only attorneys, and I am very, very pleased. To be joined today by one of our newest attorneys at the law firm, and that is Chris Hanschild. Uh, Chris, when I say new, I do mean new to our firm at least. Uh, He joined us in December of 2020, uh, and we're very, very excited to have him. I I say he's new to us, but he's absolutely not new to the practice uh, of law. Uh, He has been practicing for over 25 uh, years, and he has joined our tax group. And that means that today's topic today is uh, a little bit of labor employment, but a lot of uh, tax as well. Uh, My uh, loyal listeners out there, I can tell you that when I was in law school, uh, the last thing in the world that I thought I should be doing was tax law. Uh, I took one tax class, and that confirmed my feelings uh, on the topic, Uh, but I continue to be uh, amazed and marvel at those who took that up as the mainstay of their practice, like Chris did. It absolutely means they have... A, uh, a a different legal acumen than I do, and it's one that uh this firm is pleased to have uh Chris comes to uh crow and Dunleavy having uh, uh twenty five years worth of experience helping u s companies uh handle global tax planning as well as mergers and acquisitions he uh, earned his llm in taxation from uh, new york u- uh, university or n y u uh, I, I think at this point, Chris, almost every single person in our tax department uh, holds that title. And it is not a small thing. It is a it is a impressive uh, school and a wonderful, wonderful LLM program. Uh, and finally, just wanted to um, uh, put some numbers, a little bit of math to uh, to to Chris's career and. Um, Uh, he tells me he's been involved in over $100 that's billion with a B, of uh, corporate transactions over the course of his career. Uh, Impressive indeed. So uh, I'm very, very um, excited to uh, introduce uh, Chris. Chris, say hello to all our listeners today.
1: Hello. Thank you for uh, tuning in. Hopefully we can keep the Tax discussion minimized and <laughs> keep it
0: relevant and more uh, upbeat on some employment issues that we can all get our get comfortable with well that's good that's why the two of us are here together and today's topic uh, speaking of which is we want to talk about independent contractors uh, and specifically uh, independent contractors versus employees, how we arrive at those particular classifications, why those classifications even matter, and most importantly, a topic that you addressed, Chris, in a recent uh, client advisory that you co-authored with Mary Snyder from the Labor and Employment section um, about this new Department of Labor rule uh, that, after a lot of rulemaking, has gone into place and changes the game a little bit about interpreting who is and who is not an independent contractor. Now, of course, All that is subject to change under the new administration, and we'll talk about that, too. But that is our aim and our goal today is to talk about those uh, issues. So let's get started. Uh, These podcasts are short and action-packed, so let's give our uh, listeners some substance to go with this uh, topic today. So let's just start first with... um, you know why does it matter when it comes to classifying someone as an independent contractor uh, versus an employee i'll i'll talk a little bit about some of the employment aspects of that but chris uh, fill us in on from a from a tax perspective why that would matter to uh, companies out there
1: well it matters uh, has to do with the withholding tax that's required and the mechanics of withholding on payments to workers. If someone's an independent contractor, they're expected to pay their own employment tax, pay their own income tax, which typically you would remit quarterly. If someone's an employee, uh, you get a W-2 from your employer at the end of the year, but in every paycheck, your employment tax is withheld, your income tax is withheld. So at the end of the year, typically you have enough tax set aside to pay your tax. And then Significantly, your uh, employer Matt pays half of the Social Security and uh, Medicare tax. So, basically, seven and a half percent is paid by the employer, seven and a half percent is paid by the employee. If you're an independent contractor, you have to pay the whole thing.
0: And so, let's say that uh, you've got an agreement in place with someone. They say they're an independent contractor. Uh, You believe they are. You haven't made those withholdings, but if uh, Department of Labor uh, investigation finds that you're wrong. Uh, is, is that any um, safety net for the employer or what happens on all those taxes that went unpaid? Well, it's interesting with the, uh, the the different rules. You have different
1: agencies. The Internal Revenue Service has a similar focus trying to determine whether one is an employee or an independent contractor, but they actually have slightly different rules that they use. But if the IRS disagrees with you, they might require the now employer rather than a person who hired independent contractors, they might require the employer to pay the back taxes that the employee didn't pay, match the employment taxes that should have been withheld. So you could have a really big surprise at the end of maybe with a three-year look back period where you have to pay all these taxes, even though the people who are working for you promised you that they would, they would do this and they had a contract requiring them to pay their taxes. If they didn't do it and the IRS is short on tax revenue, they they might come to you for it. So that's a significant risk factor that requires employers to be very careful about structuring people
0: as independent contractors if they perhaps aren't truly independent contractors. Absolutely. And, and I'll amplify that by saying, too, that from the labor and employment side, not only are you uh, you know subject to these tax consequences, but you may owe uh, back wages for overtime for fringe benefits like health care insurance coverage? You might even have a situation where someone was actually covered by an applicable federal law like Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. Um, so there are consequences all across the board a lot of pitfalls that employers can get into, and obviously there's some benefits to having an independent contractor relationship. Talk for a second about uh, you know, we hear about the gig economy. We we know that there are jobs that kind of position themselves for this type of treatment. Why what what kind of flexibility are employers looking for and what kind of jobs uh, you know kind of fit this mold that you see out there? Well, one interesting example is the Uber and Lyft drivers.
1: So, even though as an independent contractor, they have to pay more employment tax, they'd have to pay both parts of the employer and the employee tax, which is about 7.6% uh, additional tax expense they have to pay. What they do gain is as an employee, you cannot deduct your expenses associated with employment, at least to the extent of the first 2% of adjusted gross income. So essentially, your expenses of coming to going to work as an employee aren't typically deductible. But if you're an independent contractor, you can deduct your expenses. So if you're driving your own car for Uber, you can get emplo- you can get your mileage reimbursed maybe 57 cents a mile or you could deduct your actual expenses. So the people who drove for Uber and Lyft, they prefer to be independent contractors because they can the value of those deductions that they get outweigh The fact
0: that they have to pay both sides of the employment tax. And I think it's that tension that exists there, which is exactly why we saw the Department of Labor um, kind of pushing against some of the old rules and and putting some new emphasis to try to uh, arrive at a point where maybe we had more independent contractors under that analysis than perhaps we used to. But before we get to that new rule, let's set the stage. Can you tell us about the the five factors? I understand these came from the IRS, actually, and then adopted by the Department of Labor later. What what factors have traditionally been used to make that analysis of who is an independent contractor? Sure. The, the rules go back to, gosh, there was a Supreme Court case in 1947. There's been
1: an evolution both on the employment as well as the Tax side of things, the IRS at one point, not that long ago, was using a twenty-factor test, which was obviously in the one of these tests that is in the eye of the beholder. And the more effective an advocate one can be, perhaps the outcome could could shift. But the Department of Labor has focused on uh, typically five factors in re- in recent years: the nature and control, the work uh, that the person was doing whether the person had an opportunity for profit or loss. Does it look like a real business or were they just showing up and getting paid an agreed wage? Uh, The amount of the skill required. So the more skill required, typically they, yeah, that is indicative of somebody that's kind of independent working for themselves versus a low skilled person might be just an employee showing up and looking for guidance. Another factor was the degree of permanence of the relationship. If you Have a lot of clients and you show up once to do something for somebody, that looks a lot like an independent contractor. If you're showing up at the same place of business every day, doing the same thing for the same person, that looks a whole lot like an employment relationship. And then another factor is how integrated the worker was in the overall operation of the business. If they're just doing one discrete piece where they could come and go, somebody else could step in for them, perhaps an independent contractor someone who is really critical to the process flow and without their input the whole thing comes to a scra- crashing
0: halt that is uh reflective of somebody who's more an employee yeah and those factors um Oklahoma state courts have applied them uh regularly you know some permutation thereof but you've hit all the big ones that have always been kind of the litmus test i, I always tell Folks, if you want to think about what a true independent contractor really looks like, like think about when you have, uh, you know, a storm and your roof gets damaged and you bring somebody in for one discrete uh, project, which is fixing your roof, they're using their own um, uh, equipment. Yes, you can Put some, um, you know, maybe requests on when they might do it, but largely they schedule their own time and do their own thing. That is the quintessential idea of an independent contractor, and so I always say, if if that's the 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 like kind of the concrete example, the further you get away from that, using these factors as a guide, then you start to have to worry whether or not you've got an independent contractor or, or an employee. And so those factors have been you know big issues uh, for employers to, t- to pay attention to. And then along comes uh, the Department of Labor, who tells us um, after a lot of rulemaking, we're going to roll out a, a new rule uh, that kind of puts a different emphasis and spin on those factors you just told us about. So Tell us what the status of that rule is and and, and what the, the rule tells us in terms of interpretation.
1: Well, the, the new rule was one that was uh, drafted and proposed in 2020. The uh, Department of Labor received over 1,800 public comments on the rule, made some changes in response to some of the observations that were, were sent to them, and uh, it was— Proposed that it would become effective March 8th, 2021. So this was a Trump administration Department of Labor rule. And now with, it, with the changeover in the administration recently, there has been uh, talk that a lot of the new the regulations that were in the Trump administration are being suspended under review. So the the client advisory I wrote is the DOL rule DOA is reflective of the fact that it might not come into
0: effect as drafted. So what did they attempt to do? Uh, I agree. It looks like it's probably uh, dead on arrival, as you suggest, but it may at least be a jumping off point for further discussions down the road. So what, what did they try to emphasize in that new rule? Well, regardless of how you feel about the
1: outcome of the rule, I think the Biden administration feels as though it tends to steer more workers toward independent class- contractor classification than they might prefer. But I think it has to be recognized as a laudable effort to achieve some clarity and streamlining the analysis to really focus on two key factors. And that's what the, the proposed rule did. The five, all five factors were discussed and relevant potentially, but they said that the two most important factors really are looking at the nature and degree of control the business has over the worker and whether the worker has an opportunity for profit and loss as a business owner would rather than just a
0: wage earner who makes money when they show up to the to work every day and which means some of these other factors like the permanence of the relationship or that they might be Cast aside altogether, uh, and and these two might become the primary and maybe the the, the sole focus. So it, it did mark kind of a, a stark departure from what had previous been that kind of five factor form, formulaic review. So if the Biden and Harris administration, you know, cast that into the the waste bin, uh, then. Uh, are there other rules out there that we see that that administration angling towards and if so what are they and and how do they work well there's in california for example has what uh, what they've
1: enacted and and they tend to use to to classify employees as they call it the abc test where a worker is presumed for labor law purposes presumed to be an employee unless all three requirements are met the, the worker must be free from outside control. So can't have a person from the company telling them what, when, and how to do things. Uh, they have to, the second factor, they have to perform work outside the usual course of the employer's business. So essentially they have to have other people they work for or other clients. If they only have if they only have one boss, that sure looks a lot like an employer. Mm-hmm. And the third is the worker has to be customarily engaged in similar independent business. Again, they have to have multiple clients. So unless all three of these are met, a person is classified as an employee under California law. And this is the test that the Biden administration would prefer to roll out nationwide but it's interesting to see where this would go and whether that's something that's even feasible because in the Department of Labor's write-up of their proposed rules at the end of 2020, they identified the California ABC test and they said, although it's there, there's some value to that test, it's contrary to Supreme Court precedent. So the view articulated by the Trump DOL was that's not a test even if we liked it that could be implemented without an act of Congress because it's currently contrary to Supreme Court precedent so it's hard to know whether that's something they could just shuffle in administratively or if it would require an act of Congress to get that one to be the test
0: yeah I think that means we're headed towards either court battles or perhaps uh, legislative change if it could be ushered through with uh, uh, Democrats holding you know a very very slim uh, hold on 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 both um houses of government we we'll see I, I think from a uh the best practices perspective for uh our clients and and just the, the, those listeners out there in the business community it, this is a hot button issue um it needs to be evaluated and monitored i think if there are independent contractor agreements they have in place They need to be reviewed by in-house counsel or other outside legal counsel. And you really just need to keep your finger on the pulse of this situation. Uh, As Chris has described, we could go anywhere from a resumption to what the DOL was about to roll out to an ABC rule from the West Coast that uh, really starts with a presumption that people are employees and forces you to prove otherwise, which really would be a a difference. And
1: Adam, on that point, uh, even the the Trump DOL rule, which was kind of pro-employer friendly, one of the key observations in in the new rules is the focus really needs to be on what the actual practice of the parties is and not simply what the written contract between the parties may, may involve. So employers that might feel, well, I've got a pretty good contract in place that clarifies that they are an independent contractor because they agreed that they were and... We agreed that they would only do certain things, and this is how it would be structured. If your actual practices don't bear that
0: out, that contract won't carry the day. You are absolutely right. A a good audit and review of the situation is not just looking at the contracts that underlie uh, the relationship between the parties, but how does it actually work? in day-to-day practice. And that's well said and and a good observation for all of our listeners. I don't want to close, Chris, without um, turning to uh, my favorite part of all these podcasts, uh, which is uh, the Get to Know Your Crow uh, section. We've been focused on uh, recent podcasts uh, talking about uh, things that uh, people are watching during the quarantine, but let's change things up a little bit today uh, and give our listeners a chance to know you a little bit better. Um, uh, we, We talked a little bit when we off air about uh, uh sports and and our interest in them um what uh what involvement uh, personally do you have with sports and what role does it play in your life
1: well i uh i enjoy joy golf and uh skiing and a lot of sports that i do personally but one of the things i'm really has been uh, a, a passion for me is coaching coaching young kids so right now i've been coaching for the last couple of seasons a uh a youth basketball team at the Northside YMCA and uh those are it's the 12 and under boys I'm focusing on I've got an 11-year-old son and uh we're having quite a lot of fun with that it's one of the things I've I've learned probably as an attorney but also certainly as a coach is not only to inspire with positivity but also you have to give very limited instruction because <laughs> Even though there may be 100 things they need to do, if you tell them 100 things, they won't know which five or six are the most important. So really the art of coaching is to tell them
0: the five or six most important things and hammer those home so they do the most important things. That is sound advice. I'm remembering back to my own days as a YMCA coach for my daughter's uh, soccer team. Now, this is uh, U5, and so limited instructions were even more important at that age group. My uh, greatest coaching uh, decision I ever made was uh, telling the team to uh, shoot at the goal that I had hung a large um, stuffed animal from. Uh, the opposing coach said I was breaking the rules. I said, this is all in good fun. Um, but uh, everybody wanted to shoot at that goal, which meant even the other team was scoring goals for us as well. So um, it looks like in addition to being uh, lawyers at the at the great firm of Crow and you and I are uh, coaching geniuses. I'll just go ahead and 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 say that out loud. Speaking of which, how is the team? What's the record? How are we doing? Well, we're undefeated this season. We're um, looks like we're we're on track to win the
1: if we keep it going the Greater Oklahoma City Championship. So North Side, South Side, all the way to Midwest City. So it's a lot of fun. Just kind of keeping the the energy level up and
0: making sure everybody gets to play quite a lot. So. Well done. I'm really Coach. enjoying it. Well done. Well, that uh, that wraps up things on this podcast. Thanks, uh, everyone, for joining uh, me and Chris Hanschild today from uh, the tax group here at Crow and Dunleavy. Uh, be sure and subscribe to receive Crow and Dunleavy's uh, advisories or invent invitations. You will be able to find them if you do so in your email inbox. Uh, at CrowDunlevy.com slash subscribe. You can also find the firm uh, on various social media platforms at CrowDunlevy.com, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So until next time, on behalf of Crow and Dunlevy, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Briefly Legal. Stay safe, everybody.